We're back with the Find Your Form podcast. I'm your host, Jake Wells, and today we have returning guests, Mike Closure and Josiah Mitta, and joining us for the first time is Gretchen Reeves. Collectively, they make up three-fourths of Team Out There. We talk about the recent eco-challenge Fiji billed as the world's toughest race. Today's episode is brought to you by Millie CBD. These days, it seems like everyone's jumping on the CBD bandwagon. And with so many options out there, what differentiates one brand from the next? I've teamed up with Millie CBD for two reasons. All of their hemp products are grown and processed right here in Colorado, and the quality is second to none. In a world of CBD products, Millie stands alone. Check out all their amazing products at Millie.co. That's M-I-L-L-I-E dot C-O. Use code FORM at checkout for 10% off your entire order. All right, welcome back to the Finder Form podcast. Today we've got a quite the panel here from the team out there uh, from the most recent adventure race from the Eco Challenge Fiji. Right, so we've got Mike Closer, Gretchen Reeves, and Josiah Middaw with us today. Thanks, guys. Thanks for being here. Welcome. Hey, Jake. Thanks for having us again. Yeah. Um, interesting interesting watching the footage at least the amount of it i have i have to disclose i've only been through three of the segments uh to this date but that's just due to life getting in the way of things but anyway so far it's been interesting but i've heard a lot of stories from those around the community and elsewhere about what uh what was there and what wasn't how much how much do you watch yourself by the way because there's days of footage available online going back to like you winning the uk mountain bike championships like do you ever go down a rabbit hole on youtube watching videos of you not really emily will occasionally pull some stuff up my wife emily um and we were i was needing some footage or some some uh, images for a book that gary fisher mountain bike historian uh, founder creator whatever the heck you want to call him was asking for some stuff, and Emily went online, and she found some some pictures from the World Championships when we were racing for Fisher, Sarah Ballantyne, and myself, and um, she went down a rabbit hole there a little bit with some video footage. <laughs> it was kind of interesting to, to look back at it all, but I'd rather not get uh, go down that path because it could be endless at times if you start to search through stuff. Mountain bike archives from the 90s, you mean? That, those yeah. Kind of, yeah. There's a few groups out there that uh, on Facebook or social media that are like, I think you might have found that one photo that I just came across the other day because I was clicking on something and saw um, Ned and John Tomac and those guys out there. And then I, I scrolled down a little bit and saw that image of me in the, what was it, the um, Alpine Stars kit. Right. Yeah. Yeah. After we had you on uh, for that last episode, uh, I got it posted a few photos and that I had found online and I got a few, uh, people that were commenting about how much they loved that Alpine star kit, you know, the mustache, it was really, the mustache. <laughs> yeah, the mustache was, <laughs> I think what people liked the most. You had a mustache. I did. Wow. You know, it was kind of the thing of the times back then. Mm. I think they're making a comeback. They could be. Yeah. Josiah could probably grow up. Uh, I could pull off mustache. That's about it. <laughs> I've seen your spotty beard come yeah, in before. It's, it's there right now. You just can't really see it all. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, um, so definitely I'm the same. I'm kind of working through the, um, the different episodes that are streaming on Amazon. So, um, and it, it's really interesting to see 
the different dynamics that are out there with the the race teams, some of the amateur teams that are um, that are that got chosen. There's 66 teams in this uh, Fiji adventure race that got chosen. So, um, give us a little bit of a rundown of, of the dynamic of how. So, the team. How how did you guys decide the team? Like we've got three of the four team members here, and you guys all three live here in the Vale Valley. Um, but then there's that fourth member. So uh, maybe Josiah, why don't you give us a quick rundown of how that team is? How do they? How do you decide? Do you guys get to choose the team? Yeah. So uh, you know, Mike submitted a team, and I believe Mike will have to speak on this, but I believe it was was a, a previous Eco Challenge team. Um, and I had mentioned to Mike, you know, when it when I first heard it was coming back, hey, you know, if a, if a spot ever opens up you know, count me in. Um, and it was, you know, I was maybe 50-50. And I was 50-50 I was for a long time, even when he did finally ask me um, in the spring. Um, and then I finally decided in June that, yeah, I don't want to pass this opportunity up. So in my, for, for me, I was kind of following Mike, you know, chasing his coattails there a little bit and jumping on board. Because Mike, you're the I guess, veteran from, from all of this. I mean, you guys have all raced together on a team previously doing adventure race in, in China, right? Yes. That are, are side by side. Oh, okay. A mixture of, and we've all raced together um, over the years. Mm -hmm. um, but I don't know if we ever were the three of us on one team combined. I don't combined. think so. Because the, the China team was, let's see, it was Gretchen and Josiah and Jay. Sari was on the team with Josiah and uh, Mike, and I was on the team with Jay and a mix and Mike on on a couple of those. Travis Macy, um, Tobin one year. Yeah, Michael Tobin, our yeah. Michael Tobin adventure racing teammate. Right. Okay, so you guys all have some history with with the sport of adventure racing, but um, but never necessarily been. Um, in this same format, so you've you've got and Mike, you've mentioned before uh, that your Michael Tobin, who you just mentioned, was kind of your your number one choice for teammate, um, but then for some reason he couldn't make this selection. Yeah, so just kind of backing up a little bit on it. So when I first wanted to submit a team, I'd been asked for some uh, on to be on some other teams as well, just you know old racing buddies and so forth, but I kind of wanted to go back to our kind of our core team with Michael Tobin, myself, and then see where it would go from there. And I'd raced with, um, oh, what's the other? Uh, well, Neil Jones, who ended up being our support person for Fiji, was one of the guys I wanted to race with because I knew of his experience and his, his skills and so forth. Uh, but as it worked out, Michael didn't want to race in Fiji jungle environment been there done that mm -hmm. he had a horrible experience in the the previous eco challenge which was 17 years prior uh in fiji just very uh, sick and so forth and um even though we finished second it was still one of those tough races for him and um then there was um a gal we were looking to race with which i had never raced with but i knew she'd won eco challenge so um in prior years what i was looking to do was try to get a pretty much a guaranteed spot into the race by having all past Eco Challenge champions. So Andrea Murray was the gal out of New Zealand, um, Neil, Neil Jones, and then Michael Tobin and myself. 
And then as things started to kind of uh, unravel, you might say, uh, I look at, okay, well, I know I've raced with these guys and I'd love to do the event with them. And um, there's incredibly strong athletes. They've got experience. And so that was kind of where that kind of went down that path. And so stoked that they opted to race with us and uh, with me. And then looking forward to next year, the same. And we got Tobin back. So, so Tobin's Michael said he's, he's in, if you guys get into Patagonia. Yeah. If we get selected, um, Michael is, was very excited. Actually, you know, Michael usually will take a little time and respond. And it was like probably within 30 minutes, he said, I'm in, I'm honored. Let me know. Mm. What can I do? So cool. Um, yeah, you guys got first dibs on it. <laughs> Scoop. <laughs> and so how we does it work? You still got to get selected, though. So you have to have, the, the dynamics are, it's co-ed team no matter what, right? So yeah. does that mean um, one female or, because weren't there some teams that had three females and, and mm -hmm. one male? Yeah. So any combination, but it has to be But it has, as long as it's co-ed. Okay. Yeah. So Gretchen, you've... I think proven yourself over the years with doing enough of these adventure races. And then also just your, um, Palmares of, uh, endurance, uh, athlete, you know, cyclist and, um, uh, everything that you've, uh, achieved in your career to earn a spot here with these guys. And I think that, um, you might, to me, that makes a complete logical choice of, of someone to, to go to battle with. Um, I'd, I'd want you on my team for sure. Um, how did you feel about being, when you're, when you're there being back in, because this has been like 17 year hiatus for, um, maybe not since eco challenge, right. But when, when did you do your last adventure race? I think my last adventure race, so that would have been in China around, I want to say 2009, maybe, um, so it's been a while for sure. It doesn't seem like that long, but I was like, wow, that's been like 10 years ago. Right. Um, I was super excited when Mike asked me and, and it was, it was kind of crazy because I was driving, I was on a trip with, um, with Kurt, my partner. And, um, Mike was, I was talking to Mike, he said something about eco challenge. And I was just like, we go into the Canyon and the, and the phone, the phone call drops. And I'm like, I'm like, Kurt, Mike called me about eco challenge. And uh, it was like, I was like, I'm like, there's no way I can do it, you know, with work and so forth. And he was like, Eco Challenge, you have to do it. And I was like, I know. I was like, I, I was just like so, so excited. So we get out of the canyon and I, and I waited for like, I don't know, be cool and like wait for half an hour. But I called Mike <laughs> back and I was like, man, if you guys will have me, I am in. And so um, it was just uh, super, it was, it, was, it was very exciting. And I hadn't done like a full-blown expedition race. I'd done like two, three-day races before. Um, done, done quite a, a lot of stage racing. So I was nervous about the sleep deprivation. That was my biggest concern. Um, and, but you know, I figure if Mike's asking me, he trusts me. And that's a big part of it is just like knowing that, you know, your, your teammates have faith in you. And so, yeah, I was down. I trained my butt off and I loved every bit about it, like getting ready for it, going there. And, you know, the race was tough for sure, but, um, yeah, it was, it was, I'm so glad I did it. It was awesome. Did you feel like that sleep element was maybe the hardest part to prepare for? 
I mean, I know Mike and I discussed on, on a previous podcast about, you know, training is one thing, but to get ready for that, um, sleep deprivation element, like it doesn't really do you any good to train your body to get ready for it. You just kind of go, go for it on the day and, and push through it. Was that, I mean, how was that for you to, to deal with the, those long stretches of, of no sleep? Um, so, so you're right that I, I didn't specifically try to train for sleep deprivation because you're, you know, you're not going to be able to recover from your, what you're doing right now, which is training and, you know, whatever else you have going on in life. But I knew from prior experience that I could, I knew that I could go at least like, I felt like I could go at least two days without sleep yeah, and, and, 48 and, be, hours. and be okay. I felt yeah. like that would be okay. Um, and so that was, so I just, you know, placed my confidence in that. And then I've, and you know, you're just kind of winging it sometimes out there or a lot of the time. Um, and so this, the sleep deprivation was, you know, it's difficult for everyone. I think, um, there are, <laughs> there are some funny times out there where like, I think the first, so the first night we were on the paddle boards, I, I was standing up and I was leashed to Mike's board and I just like, fell asleep standing up <laughs> and, and I just hit the deck and Mike was like, <laughs> Mike was like, what happened? I was like, oh, nothing. I just fell down. <laughs> you just slipped. <laughs> um, but it woke me up a bit and then we kind of, um, you know, we started, <laughs> I mean, it was like a truck driver's diet. We were on no-dos and Coca-Colas and like, or, you know, just whatever, that kind of, you know, stuff. But definitely... We were taking some notos and um, and you know that got us through and I felt kind of I felt pretty okay with all of it until we got to the the uh, the Vua Falls uh, stage and right. that just kind of that one is when I got a little silly out there. Um, just because of the lack of sleep. Yeah, it was. I, I think it had a lot to do with the lack of sleep because we. And you were how many days in at that point? I don't know. I'm not sure on the days that we had it at the point where we Probably left. Probably six, maybe five or six. We were that late into it. I think so, because that was like checkpoint 20. So at least five. If I can interject real quick. Um, part of that whole sequence there was we did push through. Um, we, we pushed through a section to get to the transition area, which was where we could sleep. And that was in the daytime hours. But as it worked out, we, our, um, our team support, Neil Jones, had been through that upcoming section 17 years prior, and he warned us about these cold river pools that we're going to have to swim through, and we want to get through those and up the ropes and through those in the daylight if possible. And so we opted to not take a rest at that checkpoint, which would have given us four-some-odd hours worth of uh, break. And so all that with the previous fatigue and the effort uh, put into it. We, we did actually sleep, if I remember it correctly, I don't know if we call it sleep, but we stopped at this little village in a, in a trekking section where we were able to hire guides. And that's another story in itself, but we, we stopped at this little village and it reminded me of 17 years prior where you go into this little hut and you're there with the family and you sleep on these little straw mats on their floor and you know the kids and the rest of the family are running around you're trying to sleep and maybe they're sleeping, maybe they're not. But we only slept, stayed there for a little over an hour, I think, with very little rest, but it was enough of a break to kind of 
get us through those pre-dawn hours, I think, is, is always the toughest for me. But that's what kind of led up to this whole situation, I think, where everything can kind of stacks up and compiles on you. And I think Gretchen had reminded me later that, well, she had done the math, and I think it was, it was a 60-hour stretch where we had that one hour of sleep. And so we got to that hut about 5 a.m., and we got about one hour and first light at 6 a.m. We were trekking again, trying to get to that camp, but we got there pretty early, I don't know, 7.30, 8 o'clock or something, so it didn't make sense to sleep there we were awake and Neil said you got to get to these these pools above the falls before it gets dark and so we you know we swapped out our our food and our bags and our essential gear and packed back up and and headed out for the falls so you weren't required to sleep at the checkpoints that because you this was just a village that you came across so we actually had to use sleep cards. To, I'm not sure if you were aware of that. No, what, what's that all okay. about? So we had five sleep cards that we had to use of three hours each. And you could only, you could only use them at checkpoints and certain checkpoints. So um, we had already used two at the beginning of the race, well, it was sort of the first leg of the race where they closed the course. We could only use two there. So, you know, we did have these sleep cards we had to use, but we ended up kind of messing that up too because um, we ended up with a sleep card at the, you know, in, towards the, like the very last we CP of the race. We ended up with three in the <laughs> last camp. Yeah, and, and so, but to, you know, to go back to, to um, you know, where we left for the falls, I think um, yeah, that just even trekking up to the falls, the rocks, like it started to rain a little bit and the rocks were just, they were so slick that it, I mean, it was, I mean, I don't know how many times I fell. And then the more I was falling, the more like tired I was getting. And then I started to like feel like I was dreaming, but I was still like awake. And it was like it just got loopy out there. And um, so yeah, it's kind of when it, you know. And then we had to go up the ropes. It was pitch black. It was raining. The rocks were just snot, and it was like, I mean, I was wearing knee pads. Mm. You know, it's just like <laughs> it was. I mean, it was. Brutal, right? Was that about <laughs> five yeah. hours we spent on those ropes? I don't probably? even. I mean, it was. Have no yeah. Idea. So just the approach to the falls, we were going. That's where we were going about one kilometer per hour. So the only route was in the river, and it was, you know, car-sized boulders that were super slick. And then you're dropping into water or trying to hop to the next rock, which is, you know, slick. And so it just took us way, way longer than we thought based on the distance. And then when we got to the ropes, yeah, we had gone so long without sleep that it just took us longer than it should have. And it was pouring rain, and it got dark while we were on the ropes. And so it was just a, I mean, kind of the, the theme of the whole adventure was that, you know, we're just hitting things <laughs> at, at bad times, and things were just kind of cascading and um, compounding. Yeah, it seemed like after – so you, you had a bit of a uh, navigation – error early on and after that setback it just seemed like you were playing catch up and um and then like you said just the timing where you would come into a section you know the part that i i really noticed was in in the the footage was that you guys came into the mountain bike portion which knowing three of the four of you how strong the mountain bike section should be for you 
um, you know, your opportunity to, to claw back some time um, really got negated because, you know, you guys are end up walking your bikes through a majority of that and, and pushing through some really uh, nasty mud sections. So, I mean, and that, that became the theme of, of yeah, the, so, the rest so of the So we race. had lost, so we, we were in second place at the, fir- the first night, uh, but we hadn't made it to the first camp yet. And when we, we took the wrong turn, you know, it might have cost us four hours, but we came to the next checkpoint like five and a half hours back. And then we pulled back an hour and a half on the next mountain bike section. So we were still in a, a decent position. You know, we had, you know, lost time to the leaders, which was a bummer, but we were still in the race. But then they, at the first camp, they closed the canyon. And so the top teams had made it through. And we spent, I mean, we got there, I don't know, four in the afternoon. And we were planning on heading out. We are going to use one sleep card and head out, you know, in the dark. And then we got held up there all the way until 6 a.m. That's when they, so, they paused the race and they restarted it the next day. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. But in the meantime, you know, the next, I don't know. 30 teams caught up with us and started the next day at the same time at 6 a.m. So they didn't stagger anything for the restarters. It's like, we're starting again, go. It's how those, those dark zones or those course, course closures work. Yeah. Um, I'll, I'll go back on one thing right now for sure. Um, about the ropes, because we're there talking about it. That section of ropes, it's it basically know, maybe six or probably eight pitches worth of ascending. She had to go up these waterfalls and her staggered ledges and rocks and uh, formations and waterfalls, etc. Um, typically, they're considered low angle, so you're using one uh, foot loop, and it's not a sure vertical climb. And so you use your feet to help get over ledges and ascend with because they're on the rocks. But because the rocks were this black, mossy kind of coating on them, as soon as the rain came out, it was just twice the effort. And... Somebody, you know, with Gretchen, she's good skills on that, but you're just dealing with the prior fatigue of two or three days worth of racing or four days, whatever it was. I don't even remember anymore. But the the lack of sleep and, and the physical exertion and then you're trying to take in the calories and so forth and the weather and the cold and uh, rain, et cetera. So that just made that probably twofold difficult in difficulty, you know, with the ropes. So... Um, and are you guys carrying packs at that point? You're carrying still like a 30-pound? No, they're not that heavy by any means. But, we, yeah, we had packs with all of our gear on. Mm-hmm. You had to have the climbing gear, which was now you're using your hands and on your waist and so forth. But So were those ropes fixed? Like you show up to that section and the ropes were in place? Yeah, and we and hit it with probably a half a dozen teams, I think, together because we all yeah. kind of got to the falls at a similar time. You know, So yeah. maybe not all at once, but there's a number of teams. So there's sections uh well what there are three or four maybe five ropes so you could kind of get teams on behind you or spread across the rocks and so forth but that was that was brutally difficult and it was kind of the way the as you say the theme of how it was going with us we um we kind of got behind the eight ball with that navigational error that first night on the paddle boards and then you get into that um the camp which we slept at and we get shut down because of the rains and the canyons and so forth and now you're just falling further behind because the teams are further up and you're trying to play catch up and then it was the mountain bike as you mentioned with the muddy peanut butter mud we i think we rode through the whole night in that rain if i remember right and so we would spent you know six eight hours i don't even know on the bikes prior to getting to that muddy uh 
jungle section that they just plowed a new road in. So we we just and that's when it really got compl- sticky was whenever it quit raining. Yeah, yeah, the worst, as you know, as bikers, we all know that it's better to just keep raining, and you get to ride through the little slop versus the clay sticky mud and. And that was the thing. It was kind of, we got a little rain during, if I remember right, while we were out there. And then it stopped, suddenly come out, and it started baking up. And then Lisa, the co-producer, Lisa Hennessy, is up there. She spotted us with the helicopter, and it's just like back and forth with this helicopter <laughs> and the sky cam on it shooting us. <laughs> it's like, all right, enough already. Yeah. We, You know what we're up against? Let's yeah. let us be. Yeah. And I must say, that was probably the worst mud that I've seen. And I've, I've ridden a lot of muddy stuff. Yeah, well, extra well, just, worlds yeah, a couple, couple of years ago. Yeah, I mean, nothing would compare to this mud because, you know, extra worlds, when it's muddy, yeah, it was real bad. But, you know, so you're off your bike a couple of times, but you're riding. Like, you're just, you're pulling all that weight with you and you're still on your bike and you're, you have some, you know, gears aren't working because the grass is in there. But here, like, you were not only off your bike, but you couldn't even, you couldn't push your bike. Yeah, it, the wheels would not turn, and you were scooping mud off of it, but just so that you could carry it. And so you're trying to carry, I don't know, 80 pound bike, wow. you know, that's covered <laughs> in mud, and and it's up a, you know, 20 plus yeah. percent incline that you can hardly get any footing on. <laughs> so it was wild. It's it was, like Georgia clay. Yes, it's very much like Georgia clay. I was just thinking about that. So it's no big deal for you. <laughs> I, I could barely. I mean, sometimes the guys had to carry my bike for me. It was so heavy. But then on top of, you know, okay, so we get we get through the section and we ride back down to the transition, but we still have to, like, I mean, we have to clean our bikes off and we have to clean our butts off, you know, because, like, I mean, you can't go for another however many hours with, like, I mean, you had mud just, like, up in everything. So we had to, like, go and wash ourselves off in the creek, and it's it's so hard to just get off your body. But, Was uh, there another bike section after that? Yeah, so we put our bikes in, the, I mean, we washed our bikes in the river because their power wash didn't work. Oh, God. Well, I'll, I'll say it on that <laughs> note. We, we came to that transition area, and the guy goes, you got to wash your bikes down at the creek. And I maybe I heard differently or wrongly, but I didn't know there was a pressure washer. So we spent at least a half an hour down in the creek washing all this mud off because we've got to use the bikes again later and put them in our boxes. We get back up there, and there's teams over there pressure washing. I go, what's this about? So it just stuck with the theme of our luck. You know, yeah. it's just one thing after another. But, yeah, so we put everything, all our bikes and all our wet everything in that box, and then nobody saw them again until we had to pull them out and race with them again in that condition. And it was just, you know, things, you know, weren't working too good. Yeah, I bet. <laughs> just everything was rusted out. Sure. Seized up. Smelling really nice too. Uh, yeah, yeah. It's like it, a hockey bag. All that gear that just gets chucked. <laughs> no, no, I think we had it. We, we, <laughs> we like, got it on right now. I'm racing that bike tonight. <laughs> My shoes and gloves were. That's for sure. Yeah, I am racing that bike tonight. Are yeah. you? Same bottom bracket. See oh, how that goes. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I was on Sarah's bike, so I didn't care. <laughs> I got on it after after that. The next time we had to get on them, and I was just like, and the fork was like, wonk. And uh, yeah, no more no more shock for for the rest of the race for me. Man, yeah, that's got to be um, mentally daunting, I guess, to to be able to just to wear on you after the you know, you make your snafu right at the early on and. But you assume every team's going to have something like that happen, right? And you just get through it the best you can and, and keep moving forward. And then um, 
but then to keep hitting that those sections at just the wrong time you know like was that how challenging was that to stay mentally positive um i kind of feel like you're in it and you just you just keep going like and and maybe we didn't necessarily talk about it at the time sometimes you just you just put your head down and you are just you know pushing your bike or you're you know we're trekking or whatever it is and you know at some point in the race and and it was just like the you know I kept thinking okay well maybe we can still finish in the top 10 and then I'm like oh maybe the top 15 and at some point in the race you know you kind of realize well we just got to finish this thing and um that's just I, I guess we never necessarily talked about it except that you know it's it was too bad we didn't feel like we were actually racing anymore. Mm -hmm. yeah. And and we were moving and we were I mean there was no talk of like oh let's just let's just throw in the towel or you know nobody was complaining but it was just like it, it I, when, when we were racing we want to feel like we are racing and like you know we want to catch this team and you know do, but it it just it was kind of it was disappointing to go out of that mode and into you know yeah. Just finish mode, I guess. Finisher yeah. mode. I agree. Yeah. And that's that was the only part that was tough, was that I think that we're all very competitive people, and there's been plenty of races where it hasn't gone our way, but we're still racing. You know, whether we're racing for 10th place or 20th place, to feel like you're racing, I think, is really important. And when we finally got to the point where we just have to finish this thing, then that was the only kind of letdown for me, at least. And I was like, oh, no, like... Now we're just trying to finish. Right. And I've been that in there and, you know, short races where, okay, you get a couple flat tires and now you just need to make it to the finish line. And there was never a talk about like, oh, maybe we should throw in the towel. There was never, you know, even a mention or even thought of that, I don't think. But it was just deflating when we were just in it to finish at the end. There. Yeah, and that went on for probably a couple of days yeah. where we were just like, okay, we just finish, get to the finish. And remember, I know another situation was, again, the luck we put ourselves in or the position we put ourselves in with our luck. The last, um, we had a paddleboard to a, a final paddling section on outrigger canoes. These were actual canoes, not sailing canoes like we started with. And we had to get to this checkpoint transition area by a certain timeline because they're going to close the course down at night because of the ocean, because of winds. And so we got going, and we just raced our asses off. I mean, Josiah did everything he could, towing a couple of we, – we decided not to paddle because we had headwind, and the tide was going out, if I remember right, to get to this checkpoint along the, the ocean shoreline. And we were going to – if we didn't get there, we had to spend the whole night, and we missed it by like five or ten minutes. Oh, I don't remember. Man. But they also then they it's said, like, well, look – It was like two minutes. <laughs> okay, yeah. maybe two minutes. But they also said, well, look, it's not just getting into the checkpoint. you got to be out of here by this timeline. So we were inevitably, you know, sitting there. I think we had to stay another – Fifteen hours. Fifteen hours. So just think about that. You're like, okay, so we just kind of chilled in this building. We ordered – what did we order? Fish, Fish and, and chips, chips and yeah. pizza. <laughs> So, we had yeah. some guy go out and buy it for us. So we would have been finished with the race, and instead we're on the shore just waiting for daylight. And so we got there. So at 6 p.m., it's dark, 6 p.m., 6 a.m. And so they had announced that that was going to be a dark zone because of the winds. And so we found that out at the previous checkpoint. So we are just busting it, trying to get there. Um, 
but we knew we had to get there by three. And when I'm running down the beach, the, you know, the people at checkpoint was like, what is this? Why is this guy doing this? They just thought I was, I don't know, weird, lost my mind or something. And, but I'm like, okay, we made it. We're, it's, we're before three o'clock, right? Like sign us in. He's like, no, no, no. You, you know, your team has to be there. I'm like, well, they're right there. Right. <laughs> um, and so it was just like minutes. And then, so we had the three hour sleep card we had to play. And so that's why it put us past 6 p.m. when we well. could leave. Yeah. So we had another sleep card that we should that we didn't need, that we were just still holding on to. Huh. Yeah. So that's how much of that is going to go into your strategy for. I mean, obviously you're you're not going to strategize for for getting lost, but um, or hopefully not plan that into the 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 strategy. But playing those sleep cards. Um, because you're just playing catch up. So you weren't using them. You weren't burning them up. And when you're at the front, I guess you're able to kind of play them more leisurely and yeah, you, I think we more had strategically, I'd say. Yeah. yeah. What we have, it was five sleep cards. You said five. Yeah. And we had, I think six, um, transition areas. Right. And then we could have used them at other checkpoints provided they were a checkpoint. So like the night we slept in the little hut. Mm-hmm. Or that morning for that hour, that's just burned hour. You know, you just that doesn't count toward card. your yeah. five cards. No, and so well, and it and has to be top of the falls. Six, top of the falls. Six hours, eight yeah. hours. I don't yeah. know. <laughs> Waiting out Didn't the weather, count. they wouldn't let us tra- progress on because of the conditions, and we needed to all be in a healthy state for let us go. Because actually, the the um, doctor up there, I remember if you guys heard that, I remember that, but he said. He had been evacuated from that same spot. He wasn't a doctor at the time. He was racing in the Eco Challenge back in 2002, I guess it was. He got evacuated from the course there because of hypothermia and just his state of health, and he didn't want to see any of us in that situation. And we tried to move on, but the weather was hopeless. And I, I think it would have just been a, as we, I think we made the right call there. So the staff yeah. at the top of the the falls were adamant about making sure everybody was healthy and, and able to move on. Yeah. yeah. I mean, we came back, we needed a little bit of rest. We were not going to make it. And I think that was the right call because even if without the doctor there, like we, we weren't in a state to be able to make it through that section. And we, I think more than one of us was mildly hypothermic yeah. at that time. And they actually would not let us go because they determined that Gretchen was hypothermic and it was all about, you know, resting, sleeping, eating, and they wouldn't let us go anywhere. And it was pouring rain in the mud. And you really could hardly see each other's distance in the when we got out there into that riverbed again. So we got up to the top of the ropes, and the river that fed the falls might have been 20 feet wide and ranging from 10 to 40 feet wide maybe. It was misty, cloudy, cold, windy, and you just you couldn't see what you're stepping on. You didn't, And they kept saying, well, if you get to this side of the river – there's a path, but we had no idea of the length that we had to travel in this river, much less the pools ahead, which the programming showed all these people struggling with hypothermia. And had we been in there in the wee hours of the morning, and it would have just been, we would have ended up on the shoreline, huddled in our puppy pile and our space blankets and trying to survive, you know, it would have been <laughs> even worse than it was. Right. Yeah. You're not you're not thinking there's a snake up there? Not like you're going through there like maybe there's a pit viper? They don't want anything to do with us. But you know the uh, I got to say also with the sleep card thing that that was a new thing that was actually uh 
When we, I think we found out about it at the race, didn't we? we yeah. I don't think we knew in we, advance. We knew before a little. Oh yeah, we they, did. They did. They did talk about it before, but you know, it was like, okay, well, how are you know, it was kind of how are we going to play this, and and uh, we didn't really. It, in hindsight, I think we didn't really think about like how we would use those sleep Strategy, cards. Yeah, yeah and because you're kind of, you know, I think you're kind of going off of like past like what you would. What you've done in the past and like oh yeah let's let's get up this uh river bed you know in the daylight and so forth and and it all makes sense at the time but but just in hindsight you think oh yeah we, we probably should have used one of these sleep cards at some other location you know before we went up the falls or something like that mm -hmm. for, for most teams it's not it doesn't you know play a role because so you you know the average team is probably out there nine ten days you're going to use five sleep cards at a checkpoint you know the best place to sleep is at a checkpoint um, or ideally at a camp, um, but yeah, in hindsight, I think that we could have used more strategy to, with how we played those. But again, we were playing catch up, so uh, strategy right. was kind of out the window at that point. Yeah, yeah. I think it's one thing to go into it with a plan of okay, we have these sleep cars, we're going to use them at these spots. But once you are on the back foot, then you know that that whole plan kind of goes out the window. Yeah, and so. I think, I don't know that we actually knew, uh, maybe as the race started, we knew that we had six of these uh, camps. Four. We only had four camps? Yeah. So you got money on the Well, we had an extra one at the last checkpoint, so. Yeah. Our <laughs> extra, extra special camp, yeah. fish and chips <laughs> camp. Yeah. But um, as it played out, they that being a new component to Eco Challenge, which we'd actually... Um, raced on, under a similar format years ago, and it was in the Raid, Raid World Championships, the Raid Galois French race, which was kind of predecessor to Eco Challenge. They started implementing this for safety reasons, which I think is a good play because you can um, guarantee people are going to take, or the teams are going to take rest and not put themselves in crazy situations or as crazy a situations because they're just sleep deprived and want to push on, push on. And they've seen that happen many times, and we've been a beneficiary and, and on the losing end of that as well over the years. But with it being new and the format with the race um, Eco Challenge in Fiji, you wouldn't get the new section of the course until you got to the, that particular camp. And so you wouldn't really know what lies ahead until you got, that, got the maps and the, and the race guidebook. So you couldn't really strategize 100% what you were going to do with these. And then all that shit goes out the window when you, things go away, you know, and you get lost on your, or go down the wrong river or up the wrong river on your paddleboard the first night, you know. It's just, you, then you just got to kind of play it out and try to hope for some luck and good strategy as you go along. So on that night when you had the the paddleboard you're on the paddleboards and you were um you you took a wrong turn was that a shortcut that you were looking for or was that a a wrong like a turn that was missed well i'll chime in first and then i'll let josiah and gretchen go in but <laughs> i feel like such an idiot that that happened and there's a lot of i, I look back at it watching the footage there's a lot of things that we could have done differently to prevent that but ultimately, we weren't the only team, and there was other good navigating teams that did this. And what my understanding was, because I wasn't on the maps at the time, really. I had um, Gordon, our Gordon Flash Gordon, our teammate, on the maps for all the ocean section, and we we're going to have him navigate most of the race if we could, if things were going well. And uh, anyway, so we we went from nautical maps to land maps, 
and the the reefs looked like land masses on the nautical maps and so when you went to the new land maps there was this you know, this area of gray uh, comprehension i think at night you just couldn't see as well either and what gordon said was he thought that that point we had to go around was actually a reef or something like that and so we turned in early and uh, i think our uh, other correction or mistake we could have avoided by just plotting the starting point which was the new maps was right where we started we just plotted the next checkpoints because they didn't actually, I don't remember if they yeah, even gave so, the coordinates. So they had said from reference point one, go up the mouth of the river. And we had just gotten a new set of maps. And so there's written instructions. And so those are what, that was a written instructions. And so I, what Flash said is that he assumed reference point one was where we were. But in reality, that reference point one was, I don't know, five, six K down the coastline. And it was midnight. And we were only 20 minutes behind that New Zealand team, but they were just far enough that we couldn't see their headlights. And uh -huh. had we just caught a glimpse of the headlight, yeah. we would have known. Keep going. Yeah, keep going, you know, follow that team. But yeah. Yeah, it was just one of those things where it's just one little oversight. And it just, and they say you can make small mistakes, but not big mistakes. And that yeah. was a, ended up being a big, big mistake in the end. In the river, um, sorry to, Keep chiming in here, Gretchen and Josiah. But the river, um, you follow your direction, basically. The river was really windy, but generally I think it went southwest is the direction we needed to go. And so all that looked pretty good on the map because you can't really tell when you go north to south to west. And as long as you're not going east or something, you're, you're kind of on a similar path as, as what was depicted on the map. And we didn't, I don't think we actually saw that river on the map um to to say don't go down this i don't uh -huh. know if it showed up on the map and again i wasn't really looking at the maps like i should have been and just you know you kind of give each other their responsibility so um that stuff it's just like uh, a stupid mistake and if we just done a, um you know looked at it differently and from a perspective and you know we're trying to as josiah and Gretchen will say you know we're trying to close back in on the kiwis up the way and so you kind of push through things maybe you should have thought a little more about. But as I say, other strong teams had done the same thing. So obviously it wasn't just a, a complete buffoon mat, uh, mess up. So then did you have to backtrack or did you were you able to completely backtrack? Oh, wow. Yeah, but first we backtracked, went up a different tributary, and we followed these like to the end, like yeah. until we were dragging our paddle boards through the rocks on the wrong river <laughs> we had no so. idea we were in the wrong one if we had we we would have immediately yeah. turned around sure so then is, is bear grills flying over you in a helicopter the whole time giggling going look at closer's team down there they've gone the wrong way i mean how uh, the television aspect of it there's helicopters all not the at time. night not at night so they, they they i don't think they had the helicopters out at night they usually don't but have the tv aspect of it are you very aware during the race we didn't have any camera guy no. on us there, did we? No. no. So there's, no. so there's what, 200 uh, crew or 20 different film 50, crews? 50 different 50. crews, 200 staff okay. filming. But and so there are some embedded photographers, but a lot of people thought, oh, so did you have cameras with you the whole time? And no, like there's an embedded camera person will go with a team, or you know if there's a couple teams together, they'll kind of jump around, but they're with them for a couple hours, and then they jump on a helicopter and go somewhere else. Um, or occasionally maybe they would go through the night, but we didn't have 
an embedded camera crew with us except for that first day when we were um, at the front of the race. And then a little bit near the end, but yeah. um, I think that was token. <laughs> he was they didn't have looking else for something to do. To do. Yeah. <laughs> but, a lot of the teams had pulled out by then. So yeah, then extra. Yeah, we got somebody. He's putting work here. Um, they, they could track us, though. We had trackers on us. Yeah. Um, so they were monitoring, monitoring our path of travel, and they would have known at the headquarters where we were. And so I don't know how many teams went in there, but it was probably a good at least a half a dozen. I wish we weren't one of them, but um, yeah. But I'm sure that's got to be difficult uh, to allocate jobs, right? To figure out who's going to be doing what job, because you know you can't all be looking at the map. Because when you got four paddleboards to blow up. There's, yeah, there's so much <laughs> other things that have to be going on. Yeah. So you you're divvying up the the workload, right? So um, and yeah, you just have to kind of put your, your faith into whoever you have on the map, but it's not something that was done on purpose, obviously. Oh, and there's one set of maps. And so you, you try to be in the know of, you know, the general idea of where you're going and what you're doing. What you're it's really, for. I mean, if we, if all four of us were to, you know, be on the maps then that's four times the amount of time to, you know, passing around and sure, you know, talk, yeah, especially if question you're every decision and. You know, it's it's different if you're just out there like, hey, let's just go do this adventure. We're gonna we're gonna sign up for this and we're gonna get to the finish. But when you're racing and you're trying to be efficient and fast and and get yeah, to, you have to do things on the fly. Yeah. But then Indivia. when things are going wrong, you gotta stop and you gotta figure it out. Right. Yeah. yeah. We were when we were in that river. Um, I remember Gordon was like, let's just pull over. Um, he wanted to, I think he wanted to walk up on the shore or whatever. And it was just this quagmire mud. And I think there were a bunch of mosquitoes and bugs coming at the time. I'm just like, let's just drift and look at this or stop on the water and not waste any more unnecessary time. But as it turned out, you know, once we got out of there and realized where the mistake was and it wasn't until we got back out of the river, if I remember correctly, that we realized what had gone wrong. Mm -hmm. And and we, that was looking at the maps and looking at the maps on television, you see like, how could we make that mistake and not go around this, this landmass? Right. But again, we explained all that. So yeah, that transition from nautical to, to land maps. Well, and then also, you know, it's whenever you're not where you think you are, that's like the, the main mistake. In, right. Well, yeah. in any all kind of navigation. navigation, yeah, it's always know where you are and, if you don't, then, or you assume you're somewhere you're not, it takes a while to figure out that correction. Yeah. Gretchen, I can only imagine what was going through your mind <laughs> at that time. Well, I was just like, I mean, we, you know, we've gone, I've got, we've gone the wrong way before in other races and things like that. And, but just thinking that when we initially had to turn around on the boards and knowing that we had already pedaled two hours in the wrong direction, and knowing that we had to pedal two hours back, it was like, oh, man, if, you know, and it's like we had been paddling for most of the day, you know, since like six o'clock that morning anyway, you know, on the th Thamakaus, is that's how you say it. Um, and we did a little trek on that, like two or three hour trek on that island. And then, um, but we had been paddling, you know, for a lot of it's hours. Probably over, over 20 hours of paddling yeah. by the time we got off those paddle boards. Wow. So we, so we uh, you know, 
to do four extra hours of work is uh, on a paddleboard, just paddling like that. It was, you know, it was also a loss of energy as well. So upstream. It was, upstream. was that a huge morale blow to for everyone, or was you guys? I mean, well, at that no, because we were on. racing. I mean, we were still like, we're gonna get this time back. We're we're clawing our way back, and you know, earlier that night, it was the most amazing night. It was almost a full moon. Maybe it was a full moon. In my recollection, it was the only clear night that we had. <laughs> and we're just, at, for, before we knew we had gone the wrong way, we're like, this, this is, is amazing. Like, this is this really is cool. There's all yeah. these trees. And, and wait, there shouldn't be trees right now. But um, anyway. Yeah. <laughs> um, and there's a big yeah. spider web. And that's, oh, you know, when I saw the spider web across the river, like wow, that's, no that else. spider didn't just build that, you know, that, that four-inch spider <laughs> did not just build that thing. Since the other team passed, you know, yeah, he just quick ran across and put it out there. Minutes. Yeah, and was that yeah. when at the point we were deep in that already, and we're when wondering we were deep if we and missed... crawling over the logs, yeah. and we were on the we, second tributary. There. And thinking we might have missed the tributary because we had to go left, but it was quite a ways up. And you know, <laughs> Gordon had done such a, a great job on that map stuff on the ocean, and yeah. because we went, you know, we were in second, leaving the island that Gretchen was talking about that we had to trek on that first day um and then we lost some time because they the tide had gone out and some of the other teams that were trekking around us um came out with us or in a transition area together and the boats they'd moved all the boats so they couldn't tell us where our boat was there's 60 or 50 some boats out in this quagmire you know we we're walking through what calf deep mud and the <laughs> Um, from tide have gone out, and then we finally find our boat, and now there's two or three other teams ahead. It took us a while before we actually realized what place we were in because we could see lights and distances and so forth. And to paddle, you know, we weren't really uh, expecting to be that big of a factor. At least I wasn't on the paddling end of things, you know, that we would come out of the paddling section without overexerting ourselves like the Bend, Oregon team did, and, and third place and then second um, ultimately. You know, we'd done a fantastic job, and a lot of it was due to the credit of Gordon's navigation on the water. You know, he's navigating at night, you're picking out points, you got tide and current and what have it going against you. We're going to have more with Mike, Gretchen, and Josiah. Today's episode is brought to you by Millie CBD. The CBD world is moving fast, and there are tons of products out there to choose from. Today, most people use CBD to promote health, wellness, and supporting the body's homeostasis, otherwise known as its natural balance. Cannabinoids are an essential part of the body and support the endocannabinoid system, which helps regulate a wide variety of physiological systems. Millie offers many different CBD products, but personally, I prefer the CBD soft gels with melatonin before bed, and I've experienced a noticeable change in sleep quality. I wake up feeling rested and ready to go. CBD is not psychoactive, so no, it won't get you high. Broad-spectrum CBD users report a wide range of benefits, including improved mood, reduced stress, improved temporary sleeplessness, and re reduced discomfort. Millie is a Colorado-based company offering high-quality formulations while providing transparency regarding ingredients, dosing, and testing. This allows customers to feel safe in an innovative and fast-moving industry. Check out all the amazing products at Millie.co. That's M-I-L-L-I-E dot C-O. Use code FORM at checkout for 10% off your entire order. So like what you, 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 you announced earlier, you want to do it again. This is the team. Are you guys living differently now? Thinking there's another one coming? Because this is an everyday kind of behavior for you, Mike. You're, 
paddling and climbing and hiking and biking. That's just, it's another day at Mike's house is like an eco challenge, but you, you guys don't necessarily live like that. You're never on the water, Josiah. I'm in the water. You're in the water swimming, <laughs> but you're not paddling a paddleboard no, very and, often. Uh, so for me personally, that, that was, uh, physically, that was actually the hardest part, um, was just upper back, um, just how I felt after, and people don't realize like you're doing things for a very long time. So anytime we were in the boat or on a paddleboard, it was 10 hours and paddleboard. I was okay with because you're, for some reason you're standing and it was okay, but sitting and paddling, my upper back was just like seized up on, like I couldn't raise my arms, um, without pain in my back. And I could sometimes while I was paddling, I could hardly, and this is after, you know, several days, but I could, sometimes I could hardly breathe um, because of that paddling. And so, yeah, that's something that I would have to prepare a little bit more specifically for. I don't think it, it didn't, uh, you know, it's just part of the suck of, of the racing that, you know, <laughs> something's going to hurt and you just push through it. But yeah, but, uh, yeah that's, there's little things like that you don't really think about. <laughs> yeah. And you, are you going to do anything different? Well, we um, actually do quite a bit of paddling. Um, Kurt and I do all different kinds of paddling, I guess. Um, kayaking and some, we don't do much paddle boarding, but we have diff so many different crafts that <laughs> we get to paddle. And I mountain bike and, you know, trail run all summer and fall. And then wintertime, it's uh, all, you know, just ski touring mostly. And um, yeah, mostly ski touring is what I do, a little skate skiing. So, so if this is, next one is going to be in Patagonia, I mean, do we? It's hard to know really until they announce it what the sections are going to look like, right? Like you don't know how much paddling you're going to have. I mean, if it's in, you said it was in February, February or November. So either their fall or it'd be their fall or spring, yeah. So there may not be much paddling There'll at be all. Water involved. Yeah. There's always water involved. There's a lot of water. Yeah, there's, they're actually going to kayaking there. Um, they did a, there's a trailer up now for it. Um, they showed like some really cool looking paddling section and it's kayaking too, which is, you know, I think more comfortable than the paddling that we were doing. Sure. Is it showing any of the whitewater sections? It, I don't think it showed any whitewater sections. I'm guessing that could be pretty rowdy. Yeah. <laughs> if, if, if it's anything like, um, I've raced there twice now. Once eco in the past, and we didn't have bikes in the eco that year, and then I raid world championships, and then I also filmed with my son Christian a race in Patagonia. We were down in the southernmost point in um, Chile, on Patagonia or in Patagonia, and so um, they we had glacier travel last time up on Tronador, which is a big mountain outside of Bariloche. and then we had a glacier travel on the raid race. Um, so I'm guessing from what I've seen. Uh, a couple shots of the race director out scouting. He was on some pretty big glacier terrain, which is awesome for us. I mean, not that there aren't other strong teams out there, but that's more in our wheelhouse. Uh, paddling, we had a huge paddle at the start of um, the Eco Challenge out, out on Lake Nawawapi outside of Bariloche. And that was like, I don't know, eight hours, big, maybe 10 hours to start with, big winds, and then we uh, on the lake. So you're dealing with that, and then we went on to horseback. So I know there's horseback. Um, I'm guessing we'll have lake. Now, we, they could put us on the coast. 
Um, they didn't say whether it's Chile or Patagonia yet. Have you? I mean, Chile or um, Argentina, right? I think they said Chile. Yeah, so but. I'm guessing we'll have ocean paddle. Then, and there's a, plenty of ocean along that coastline. Um, cold, then, cold ocean. Yeah. I yeah. mean, you're in penguin territory. Yeah, I mean, the glaciers, uh, if I remember right, when we were filming from a, uh, one of the naval ships we were on, the glaciers come right down to the water down there. And that was in the, would have been their spring, no, it would have been their fall. I went down in the spring, I believe. So, um, yeah, uh, what else? Ropes, plenty of trekking, and bamboo there is horrendous. Uh, and so, you know, kind of like what we had in Fiji, you know, we had to hire guy. Well, we didn't have to hire guides, but they allowed us to, and they did the, 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 the race before 17 years prior. But that kind of just was happen chance then. And this year they made it part of the, or last year they made it part of the, the experience, I guess you might say, bringing the locals into it. But you, you couldn't just navigate from one village to the next. Uh, you needed to find trails. And so the idea was to have a guide that could lead you on these trails and carry your packs and so forth. Or you ran horses too. Or you, we hired the guides, you could rent horses. We didn't have any horses. We barely found a guide that one night, right? I mean, <laughs> we were behind the eight yeah, ball playing catch the, up. The B team. Yeah. Um, all the guides were gone. All yeah. The, he was all, the, all the good guides were gone. <laughs> he was pretty rock solid. He was awesome. Though. Well, that's what we find out is you, you just take anybody because they're going to be amazing. And so, um, anyway, the bamboo back to that. Like, we've experienced it in um, Argentina or Patagonia before. And you you really gotta get lucky in some ways or just really um find a, a good route and and stick with it because you can literally be on all fours crawling through this stuff and it's you talk about moving one kilometer an hour you're maybe moving a half a kilometer an hour in those situations so be interesting see what they throw at us so will you guys do some specific training to get ready for more so than what you did for fiji or are you just gonna do your kind of normal well, i mean if- Overall I think fitness. there's a lot of thing. you know, we have to, you know, see if we're accepted and yeah. then we have to figure out when, when the race is going to happen. So sure. I think that'll make a difference too. It'd be real hard to prepare for a February, uh, event here. I think, I mean, we've got this outdoor playground, but we don't have, you know, a good place to paddle. <laughs> so. Yeah. Whenever you were going out on these, these sections, you know, from one camp to the next camp or from checkpoint to checkpoint. And you, you run into something like the, the detour that you took on the paddleboard and that adds four hours to your day or when you're mountain biking and, and you're doing that section that the tropical storm comes through. And then all of a sudden that, that section that should take you 45 minutes takes you three and a half hours. How are you, how are you guys managing calories during those during those sections because i'm assuming that you're you're not taking everything with you you're just taking enough with you from one checkpoint to get to the next checkpoint is that is that accurate yeah yeah you want to be as light as as you can possibly be uh and that's that was something that i learned along the way to to take more food and we did run out a couple times you ran out of food while you're in from in the segments had to find a place that had some tuna and biscuits, but the biscuits were just like the driest cracker you've ever had. Remember our shopping spree that morning after we rested in that little village <laughs> hut? We went into the little, Gretchen? We went into the little oh shop. yeah, there's bags of just cookies and, are you talking about and that chips. one? chips. Yeah, yeah. there's laying on oh, the floor in the back room. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. it was a little shop. 
but we had experienced that before the last time we were in Fiji, but they had little huts that were about the size of a typical little shed that you might buy at Costco or something. But they were, this one was happened to be somebody's house in their back room or something. And then they took us in there and said, what do you want? So we just started rifling through it. So you had those some money kind there. of random spots you had come across, little villages that you'd come across that you could, you could resupply. Yeah, yeah, it was completely, it was completely <laughs> random though. And like that, after we had done the Vua Falls thing, like I, I think I was like completely out of food for a very long, I don't know for how, how long that was, but. Um, oh, yeah, we were completely out up at we, the top of the had, falls, right? We had nothing. <laughs> and, and uh, That's right. so, so we, the we whole were team. like, <laughs> yeah. we were, tre- we were trekking along and, and we'd be like, hey, Josiah, go see if you can find us some food. Cause Josiah, you know, he was, you know, he was, and so he comes back with and these cans of tuna were like the tuna was like you open it and the tuna's like black and there's like bones in it scales and, and bones <laughs> and then it's these not crackers the same tuna <laughs> he's like you want something like uh and i was like give me one of those crackers and the cracker it takes like more resources to chew and swallow the cracker than it does to like you burn more calories doing that than you Get from, value. Yeah, I, and it was like you. I had to drink like ha, like half a liter of water to get it down. Like and it this was, was like we still had like a thirty k trek to do. <laughs> over yeah, mountains. we were we kept passing around this little bag of uh, what do you call them lollies? Oh yeah, those were the best. Those, those saved my life. Flash Gordon. Oh, those like a, a gummy bear type. Yeah, not, not the Colorado gummies, the right. like New Zealand gummies. <laughs> yeah, and we kept passing it around like, okay, I'll have, I'll have a half of this one. And, and we were just kind of like trying to make those little bean, like little lollies work for the rest of the trek. It was, it was good because, <laughs> you know, Flash is pretty, he always had like an extra bag of something. Yeah. He did. He'd be we, slipping to me. We went to all these markets and we're always picking up supplies um, prior to the race and, and, uh, Flash kept buying all these, these just like sweet, like, I don't know, suckers, lollipops, um, gummy bears, and little Christmas type candies you might have, and just pour it all in a big bag. I'm thinking, you guys have all you want. And I found out during the race, I was quite happy that he had those because, oh my God, it was. Just that quick sugar. Remember when we, we got off the, I think it was the Billy Billies maybe. Um, and we were walking up into the village, and they had they had these villages set out these little markets and fresh baked goods and all that. Remember that? And they had oh, the coats. Oh yeah, I remember that. It was like the best part of the race, right and there. And we're like, who's got right money? after the raft? Yeah, <laughs> that was after awesome. the rafting, we had a bunch of that. Oh yeah, it yeah. was like thankfully because we I, now that you say it. So I we think, ran out of food that day too. I think and, we ran out quite a bit. What were those? <laughs> we weren't well, planning for it to take that long. Well, so yeah, so you're kind of budgeting for you know, 24 to 30 hours being out there between camps. But a lot of times we were 48 hours between those camps. So we pretty much ran out every <laughs> day or two. <laughs> I looked at some of the footage of us. Oh my gosh. I think within like 30 hours, 36 hours, I, I probably lost 10 pounds myself. <laughs> I swear. And Gretchen looked like she's just been in a camp in Africa for a month. I was, I was wondering, did weight, you but... guys strategically go into the event a little heavy knowing that you were going to burn through that or is that going to be a strategy moving forward i tried to gain a lot of weight in the last i don't know two weeks prior to it when i say yeah. tried to gain you know we ate a ton down there when i was down in new zealand for several uh, um, excuse me 
down with the Kiwis in Fiji for several days before Gretchen and Josiah flew in. We were just eating like hogs. Yeah. And I don't know, I gained a few pounds. And at the hotel prior, would we have four or five days at the hotel prior maybe? Just eating these buffet meals. But I, I, I remember, I remember seeing all three of you guys last summer as you were preparing for, for, to go down there. And I remember all of you were, were very lean. I mean, obviously you're in your kind of peak race season anyway. Yeah, that but, wasn't by design, I don't think. Yeah. But, but we are used to, you know, racing lean and going fast. But we had to, we were probably too lean. For, <laughs> but yeah. that's how just, I mean, that's how we are, right? Sure, so. yeah. So then how long did it take to recover? Because, I mean, you came back and went to Xterra World Championship. Yeah. Like to physically and your GI track and everything recover from all that. Well, luckily, I don't think, I mean, Mike, you might have had something in your stomach, right? Or, you know, you just got sick after. Just, yeah. I just you get so run down. I mean, yeah. your whole body is under just extreme stress from just from moving nonstop and not sleeping. And so I don't know. I, I mean, four weeks later, I was back to training, but then I had two weeks before the Xterra World Championship. So it's not like, you know, I don't have, I can't build a base, you know, build you know, high-end fitness in two weeks. So that was kind of a... <laughs> so you had six weeks from when you got back to Exterior Worlds? Exterior Worlds, mm -hmm. yeah. Maybe five. So yeah, not enough time, for sure. Yeah. Gretchen, how long, how long do you feel it took for you to recover from that? Well, I mean, it's kind of hard to say because I didn't really have an event after that, too. I mean, if I had tried to go and do, like, a town race or something, I would have been... I'm sure we're like way off the back, but I didn't feel bad. I was just really skinny uh, um, for, for me. Um, it was, you know, I don't like that look. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so it took a while for me to um, get that, you know, weight back onto like a normal weight, but I didn't feel like, you know, I wasn't sick or, you know, and, and we did get a chance, like we had a few days to, you know, we slept a lot after the race at sea level. So that also helps with your recovery, just having that extra oxygen and everything. So I didn't feel too bad when I, when I got back. Um, so you felt like it getting caught up on sleep and, and getting back into a normal kind of sleep routine was, was pretty easy. Well, just because we had those extra days after the race, like we, if I think if we had tried to fly back the, you know, a day or two later, that would have been a little tough, but, um, you know, we had extra time there. And then by the time I got home, I could kind of get back into normal routine. Like I said, I didn't have a race. I'm sure if I try to even do like a, I don't know. I know if I tried to do like a, a fast race, I would have been. <laughs> no top end. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, exactly. How many calories do you think we burn in a typical day in that race or a race like that? I don't know. I mean, you don't ever stop. So, I mean, 10,000, I don't know. I mean, we're not, we're not working intensely, but it's amazing what you sustain. Like you're, you're not like, you know, in the boat, you're sitting down you're not resting and we're not like taking turns paddling. Like we're all on the only time you're off is if somebody has to stuff something in their mouth or take a drink and it's like 30 seconds, you know? So, so you're probably burning like five to 600 calories an hour at that tempo. Yeah. Maybe, maybe not even that much, but I mean, still you, think 24 hours of that i mean maybe sure. it's 20 hours of, of, of that that's a lot <laughs> right yeah, i just think about i mean i've come out of races pretty healthy and and not where i felt i've lost a, so much weight but there i felt like i 
I lost a lot of weight quick and I didn't weigh myself going into it. I know I was light a couple of weeks before, lighter than I'd probably ever been, but by the time the race started, I think I was close to my normal weight, but I looked like I saw a couple of images and I looked like I lost, you know, five pounds in the first day, I swear. Yeah. Uh, maybe yeah. that was just I thought the camera was supposed to add weight. <laughs> <laughs> I just remember like getting up the next day after we had finished and Josiah was just like we were all three sharing a room and he just looks at me like you need to eat something I'm like I know I also need about five liters of Botox okay like <laughs> so did, did you guys get to hang out in Fiji like on the beach and and relax after the whole race was over yeah, yeah. yeah, I mean, Eat. we, 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 <laughs> yeah. there was this, Take I mean, naps. awesome, uh, awesome buffet there. I mean, it had like everything, it's so good. So we would eat like two or three breakfasts and then like, <laughs> we did. were you on a cruise <laughs> ship or something? It was like a it was cruise a great ship. buffet. I was so <laughs> awesome. And I mean, we went out and uh, to, I was very proud of our team that we finished the day, the day that we finished, you know, we went back to the hotel, I don't know, messed around a little bit. But we went out for margaritas, and I was just like, hell yeah. Like, my team is cool because, like, you know, didn't have, you know, didn't have the race that we wanted to have, but, like, you had our spirits up enough to go out for some margaritas. Good camaraderie. Well, well that's, that's what – That's part of the thing is you, you have to get along. I mean, it's four unique, really competitive people, and, and some days you're pulling well, Mike. Some days you're, you know, tired some hours and it, you, you got to rely on your team and you got to get along because it's like oh dude back here can't keep up and it's gone on for 10 days with wasn't there a lot of that in the television programming again as well where teams were dysfunctional <laughs> yeah i mean you, you definitely see some of that with like you know when they had to short rope the the guy from the bend team and he's you know completely melted down he's down to just his his underwear you know kind of walking <laughs> through the forest and or through the woods. And I thought that was inspirational. <laughs> I was like, gosh, I look better than that guy. Come on. Well, the foreshadowing was, uh, was pretty, pretty blatant. You know, like they, they kept asking him like, Hey, do you guys think you maybe you want to put your sail up? And do you think maybe you're going a little hard here at the, the day one? And they're like, no, no, we got this, you know? And, and then next thing you know, the guy's just, you know, um, not even functioning and they had to, they had to drag him around. But, um, yeah, that was one of the comments that, you know, I've, I've heard you guys individually mention. And then, you know, I've um, had people ask me about it. Like, ah, it's a little odd that the, the team from Bend, you know, went from, from the front of the race so far back and then were able to, to get back, you know, toward the front. And then to hear your stories about how you, you had to use those, those sleep cards strategically and how sections like the canyon closed because of the the water level being so high and then they close in the ocean because of the winds and, and the, the concern there, like that gives all these other teams that opportunity to catch up that you've worked so hard to get that space and that distance between you. And it all gets negated um, because of those dark zones that you, that the organizers implement. But um, you know, I think that they, they do a good job on the Amazon show of, highlighting some of these human interest stories that are out there. And there's so many stories that they're, they're trying to follow these different storylines. Um, you know, for me being somewhat emotionally invested in, in your guys story, you know, like knowing you personally and, and 
I want to see that racing element, you know, and that's, that's maybe just the way I'm kind of wired, but I would, I want to watch what's going on at the front of the race and, and see that, um, excitement about how the teams are playing off each other and how they're handling certain scenarios better or, or not as well as the other teams. And they definitely kept going back to these other storylines um, of some of the more amateur teams, which I think is great. And I'm sure that probably ups the, the viewership, but, um, and I'm sure that's something that you guys weren't even really aware was happening um, until you're able to watch, go after, after the fact and watch the, the different episodes, but um, is that seems like a new thing. Like Mike, whenever you were doing these races, you know, 15, 17 years ago, was it always that like there's, there's a handful of teams that are here to really compete. And then there's a, the the rest of the, the field is really here just to challenge themselves. Or was it always, is it more of a competitive thing across the board? I, I would say it's very similar in that respect that there's, the elite level of the field, and then there's the rest. Mm -hmm. And there's obviously in between there, but um, there was always these stories, you know, they, the human interest stories and, and the drama that Mark Burnett, who's the producer of this, um, founder of Eco Challenge, always integrated into the program, which I, I think captivated a lot of the viewership back in the day. I could be wrong, but, um, and I haven't seen all the rest of this programming, but uh, I. I think there was um, a fair share of the race scene that was programmed or shown on television, but there was always the drama and the um, the dysfunctional teams and so forth that added to it. And it's reality in that sense. And they didn't try to cover that all up. They might have dramatized that a little more than you know a lot of the viewers or some of the viewers might have liked. But I was just. Um, texting Lisa Hennessy and see how the viewers ratings were and she said Amazon doesn't usually release them but she she heard great um, reviews to this point so yeah that's just a tidbit I just, just got a text on so um, it, it works I guess for the the viewership and I'm gonna assume that the selections I, I'm guessing they'll probably keep it a similar number 60 80 teams somewhere in there but they'll try to get that balance of human interest stories and then the competitive side again because I did ask them when uh, the, the race organizers and so forth when they were announcing Eco was going to be back last last year if it was going to be a, a real made for television you know a lot of let's say amazing race type stuff or um, what are some of these other programs where they're eating crazy stuff and doing fabricated stuff or survivor stuff and they said no it's going to be the real deal it's going to be race and I think they pretty well lived up to that you know they produced a course that was very challenging, if not one of the toughest I've ever been on. And they had, uh, you know, the timeline to give uh, all the teams uh, an opportunity or most of the teams to finish. Yeah. Well, I, I think that's what pe most folks are going to want is that real test for them themselves, their team, um, and not a more contrived, you know, spectacle of, you know, get through this section then you got to eat these grub worms and you know <laughs> anyway we might but, have been happy with those <laughs> yeah, <one's> right. Right. <laughs> maybe better than the the tuna in the can um but you know i mean you think of it that way like if i compare it to the gravel scene of you know yeah there's a handful of folks that are at the front of the race and they're really racing hard 
and they're there for the win. But then the majority, 90% of the field is there just to challenge themselves against the course and just see if they can complete this, you know? And I think when you add in the elements of the team dynamics, you know, and some of those teams, they, the way they put them together, um, you know, whether it was siblings or, um, you know, the different dynamics within the team was, was really, um, captivating, I think for, for audience to tune in. So I'm not surprised that Amazon is getting good, good feedback on it. I know I've gotten a lot of feedback just from having you two guys on, uh, previously like, Hey, what's, what's happening? What's, you know, what, what's this, the real story behind these scenarios. And so it's been, uh, really cool to hear you guys, you know, give us that a little bit of behind the scenes. And it, it's funny to hear the three of you sit here and, and talk and kind of work through your memory loss together. <laughs> Cause it seems like collectively there's a, a little bit from each one of you that kind of sparks that memory of the scenario. But, um, one thing that I noticed that it was a little bit, um, eyebrow raising, I guess, was whenever they, they did say that you, you're allowed to hire locals to help you with your, your Billy Billy raft construction or to like, uh, Porter gear and, and everything through different sections. And is that something that you, you said, Mike, that you could do that in, in previous races, um, I don't well, know. To me, if it's self-supported, I mean, I guess it's not self-supported because you have support all over the, the whole course. But um, I don't know. I was a little shocked to see that they have outside help so for purchase. There's there's a kind of a, a line you don't cross. It's like motorized travel. Yeah. You don't you don't get in a vehicle um, unless they actually transport you as part of the race, which they have in some of the eco challenges and other races. And, but that's all predetermined. It's just to get you from point A to B to get to this part. Uh, exceptional part of their country or whatever it is but what happened um in fiji and this kind of the it was one of mark's last events if it was the last one i should say uh, mark looked at it, i think is like hey this is creative these guys are there's nothing in the rule books that says you can't hire a guide nothing in the rule books that said you couldn't have somebody carry a backpack for you but it, that was questionable both of those things were questionable because it hadn't been done before in these races and um mark liked the uh creativity of it and the the element uh, interest interesting elements it added to the race i guess and he said look I, uh, you know i can't disqualify him because these people because it didn't say you couldn't and then they were actually other teams were going to the extent of hiring horses so i think they looked at it like hey this is a great way to make it really look like and feel like a an expedition so like if you're out doing your own expedition you're going to figure how do i get from here to there you might look at these um, resources and hire them and so i personally i think it's fine as long as there's some some guidelines that you have to stay within and you don't cross them and there's there's rules but we all hated big deep rule books and penalties being assessed some races were all about penalizing people for doing the you know being on this road for uh, you know, mile or something like that. And just kind of crazy. Just yeah. let people get through. One important thing to note though, is that that was that Porter w section was only one, one leg of the race. So we were not allowed to have, so that was designated that we could pay for a Porter for that race. And like Mike had said earlier, by the time we got there, you know, there were no horse, horses available. There wasn't, you know, four or five guys to take our packs. 
there was one guy that reluctantly came out of his hut, you know, two hours after begging everybody around town just to show us where to go. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so it wasn't like, um, you know, we were off running with, uh, you know, horses carrying our packs or anything. And it was only the one section and we were not allowed to have a porter um, yeah. any other part of the race. Now we could go and ask somebody, you know, if they know of a trail to follow to the next village or something. Yeah, and, local knowledge. Local yeah, but intel. the thing there is like, if whatever you ask, the answer is usually yes. <laughs> so this way, yes, yes. How about this way? Yes, yes. Well, they they shake their head and say yes. Shake their head, no. Yeah. Yes, yeah. they yeah. say yes. That's the way, right under there. <laughs> yeah, you'll get there. What is the, what was the language barrier like? It seemed like in the in the footage, most of the locals spoke English. Yeah, so they teach well. English in school there, and so they have two national languages, right? That is it, Fijian mm. and English. Um, so some of those villages are pretty remote and their English is not, um, you know, as fluent or it's harder to understand, but, uh, there wasn't as much of language barriers as you'd think. Yeah. Yeah. I think one of the teams that they were highlighting, they were, uh, from Spain, I think, you know, and so they're trying to speak English. That's not their first language either. Right, you right. know, so it was interesting to watch the, um, the, communication trying to happen there between locals and and the teams but um yeah i just thought that was interesting about how like building those rafts out of bamboo and um you know using the the bamboo sticks i, I guess as paddles you know um was that something that you guys did you guys build your own billy billy or did you have yeah. some help with that from locals no, we built those 100% ourselves, yeah. and, and we actually practiced building them before we even left. Yeah. So, yeah. So you had how, some... How'd you do that? We had some cam straps that we brought with us, which you could do that. Okay. So we had the cam straps, and then, like, we also, Mike had, like, cut out plastic. How do you, I don't know, what do you call that plastic? Am I supposed to say this? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> you know. no, this is top secret. <laughs> well, like, I don't know what kind of plastic... Coral plastic. Co that, like cardboard that plastic. Yes, that stuff, and he cut out like, um, so he made like those to put on the bamboo sticks, I guess. Oh. And so we attached to turn them to there. Into a paddle. Yeah, yeah. So, so we, we, we weren't, weren't allowed to bring paddles, but we made accessories in the yeah. paddles, basically. Yeah. Yeah. The blade of it. Yeah. The the previous eco there, some teams actually zip tied their helmets to their their paddles <laughs> to use them as or mm. to their um, bamboo shafts and use them as a paddle scoop and. As you saw, the Kiwis, they had them, I think it was the Kiwis, they cut their, or one of the teams, they cut the paddle in half, or the shaft in half, so they could use it as a, a stick to paddle. Like a kayak yeah. size. And the thing is, with those Billy Bill, like, there's no fast way to, to do that. Yeah. You know, I mean, I think the locals that know the river, they know where to stay just to keep, you know, that three, three feet of depth. Well, not, it's actually not, because if they're using the sticks, the current might be too deep for the stick, but we're used to always trying to find the fastest water. And so that's what we were doing because we were trying to paddle with the bamboo sticks. So we were trying to stay fast water, but a lot of locals, you know, they'd be going upstream, you know, in the eddy current or, you know, just in the right depth of the water all the time. So that was, but there's no fast way to move those things. Yeah, it was, <laughs> it was like, wait, we have to go how many Ks on this, on these things? And it was like, oh, 55K, wasn't it 55K? I think, so. I I think mean, it, it was. was. It was so long, and I think we had a pretty good billy billy though. 
We yeah. passed. We passed yeah. a couple teams. Yeah, yeah. those <laughs> paddles. Is, when you're going that slow, it's saying something. <laughs> if they weren't much faster, they were still a little faster. And yeah. from a sanity perspective, I think that was an 11-hour paddle. Wow, <laughs> so I remember. But it was it wasn't a 16-hour paddle. So two people <laughs> on each Billy Billy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Wow. When, when we were in before, right when this was coming out, and talked to you. You had a look in your eye of, I want to come back, I want this team, and I, I want to win. I intend to, like you had a fire in your eye after all these competitions you've done and won that I want the next one. We're not losing. We're com- and you still have that. And it, it seems like everybody's got it. Like, okay, we didn't have the finish we wanted. Now we're coming back. I think you hit the nail on that. Ahead when you said you lo- sounds like you have a little unfinished business, and in that, it's probably a simple way of putting it. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, even right now you've got that look again, like I'm not losing this again. I'm going back. I've got the squad. We're not getting passed on the Billy Billy or whatever <laughs> it is. You know, if I have a team of yaks in Argentina. We're riding them for Figure eight seconds. Out. How are you guys on horseback, by the way? <laughs> I've ridden. I've, we, we have access to some horse, horseback oh, riding. Oh, perfect. Here, there we so. go. <laughs> With South America, you're probably going to get some llamas. Um, they said horse. They did, they did yeah, actually horses. show horses on the trailer. So uh, They had good horse. Let's see. Is that one? The best were in Morocco because we were on Arabian horses. Yeah. They were the spunkiest. Um, then you have them a primal quest in Utah. You had we did, horses. and that was a whole different story. But you know, in Argentina, we <laughs> funny story um, when we were doing the race, and uh, it was in San Martin de los Andes, so it was in the mountains there, and they had us on horses for quite a while. We were, they were good horses, but um, they had a vet check. So one of the vet checks um, in the races was the French version of the race. Um, they had you stop, and I think you had to wait an hour. They did the vet check, and so we left and got out of there. And we had a good, uh, we ended up winning the race, um, but we had a good horse section. And they, um, sad, but I don't know if the story's true, but supposedly a horse died, and they thought it was our horse, and they accused us of over. You killed the <laughs> horse. The horse. <laughs> My grand hey, horse. I, I mean, I love horses. I'm not a horse owner, but it wasn't our horse. Not anymore. So. <laughs> yeah. No, he's been gone for a few years now. <laughs> I think it was probably sick before the start or something, but it wasn't us. So. But is this the thing, like for you, driving you, like now in the back of your head? Like, have you had this for the last ten years? You retired from mountain bike racing. You're, you're, you know, you're in this semi-retirement. You retire from the local series, then a week later you're racing in Aspen on road bikes. Um, there's a difference. <laughs> there's a little difference there. Road but, mountain. Yeah. Do you have like a new spark? Like, I'm um, coming back and I'm. This is my deal. You know, again, it goes to like these guys we're talking about. You know, we kind of went from race mode to just survival finish mode. You know, not so much survival, just finish this thing as quick as we can and move on with our lives. Um, the fact that it's back in a place that I love um, just from the nature of the surroundings, Argentina, or Patagonia, excuse me, um, and knowing that um, we are all mountain athletes and Michael Tobin wants to come back and race and we've had a lot of successes together um, racing. So uh, yeah, it's revived a spark, I think you could say. and. I'd like to 
think we could do a hell of a lot better than we did last year. And you guys are thinking that too, like. Well, you can't go out like that, you know. Right. <laughs> I might as well come back and win one, you know. Yeah, need, yeah need, I, we need a do-over, I think. <laughs> I, I definitely think that. And, and, it's, and when we know whether or not we have, like we got in, like when, once you get in, then that's when you really can get, like you don't want to get excited about it now because we don't, we don't know yet. No, so, right. um, but yeah, if, if we do, I mean, I can't, I mean, I would just be excited to go to Patagonia. I've never been there and the idea of racing at altitude and, and mountains, it just sounds pretty awesome to me, so. Yeah, definitely more in your guys' wheelhouse as far as the terrain and the, the climate. One thing I thought was really interesting in the, um, in the programming and the, the, the show on, on Amazon was some of the other teams that had raced before, you know, similar to, to you, Mike, that were in that eco challenge 17 years ago, and then are, are back racing with, with your team. Um, you know, and the, it seems like the average age of competitor, especially on the, um, the teams that are seeing success is, is pretty high, you know, for, if you're looking at, cause if you're Mike, you're 60 now and then Mike's Tobin, Michael Tobin's 57. So average age for your team's probably around 50, right? 30 would take <laughs> I know how old Josiah is. He's my age, so I'm, I'm not going to ask Gretchen how old she is oh, on the okay. air. So. It's okay. I'm, I'm going to be 49 this month. So, yeah, I mean, if you think of that as far as the average age of the competitor for, for this team, you know, I mean, that's um, – you feel like that's an advantage for you guys to be have that much knowledge to pull from and, and knowing how you're – your body's going to react or do you feel like you're giving up anything by, um, by being, I mean, not one of the oldest team, not by any means one of the oldest teams that was in the race, but, um, it just seems like the average age is, is on the higher end for these teams that are seeing success. Well, um, I would say, you know, experience is definitely a good thing, no matter how much, you know, how, what your age is, I think that's a huge advantage to, you know, someone that, that hasn't, hasn't done this type of racing before. And, you know, after the fact, after going to Fiji, I even realized that for like me and Josiah and even Flash, like we had, the three of us had never done an expedition race before of, of this magnitude. And so just the experience that we got from going to Fiji and, kind of, you know, processing and thinking about, okay, what could I do better next time? Like, how could I be more helpful? You know, I, you know, I, I already have these like ideas of what, you know, that would look like. Um, so experience is, is the biggest thing as far as like the actual age goes. It's so, I mean, we live in a valley where like, I mean, we got an 80 some year old guy that's still running, you know, 10 Ks around here. And Mike still kicks butts of, you know, guys much younger than, than himself and so the uh, age isn't I don't think the biggest factor um, you know I think if you're training and you're staying in shape and you don't stop training then I think you can keep going for as long as I don't know you're lucky to, to do so I guess yeah I think that that's um, a big 
component that a lot of people are looking for, that nugget that, you know, I think people use that as a crutch or, or consistently have in the past. And, you know, obviously our community here is a little bit different and, and we um, have enough great examples of that age is not a determining factor of how long you can continue to be competitive, um, even if it's just with yourself. Um, you know, like you were saying about, is it uh, Merlin that's mm-hmm. yeah. um, the, the runner that's at all the races, you know, and he's... Um, Incredible. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I think that one of the storylines that they continually went back to was one of the youngest competitors in the in the event, which I was trying to look up real quick. I don't know how old. In Florida? Yeah. Florida? I think he's 18. Yeah. So... Um, you know, and he's racing with his dad, who's raced before, and and I think for those guys, to, Summer? to share that bond, you know, I think is is pretty cool. Um, you know, and and I put myself in that father position of, you know, with my daughter, she's thirteen, to go and do those kind of adventures with your son or daughter, uh, you know, would be a a really cool thing. And I know, you know, Josiah, you've got your two boys that are both racing a lot of cross country right now and you're able to go and do these runs and, and things with them um so it'd be really interesting to see collectively you know among the three of you like where where this takes you like is this a new chapter um for for you like what steve was touching on with for you mike is this like a a, a rebirth you know i mean i just heard of this uh, podcast with um Mike Tyson, and he's coming kind of out of retirement, you know, he's, he's going to have a a boxing match coming up in, I think, November. And, um, and he talks about it in this podcast about how he got completely remotivated and he's, he was training before, but now he's actually getting fit and he's actually um, getting ready for, you know, this, uh, this training camp. And, um, and so I know how active you are and how fit you, you have have you maintained your fitness, you know, and, and I think uh, across the board, all of us in this room, whether we have something on the horizon that we're actually training for, um, you know, an actual event that we've signed up for that's on the calendar, um, or, or not, we're all pushing ourselves on a daily basis to, to get the most out of ourselves physically and mentally and, and just, um, you know, squeezing every little bit of, of life out of our opportunities here. But, um, you know, I think for where we are right now with the count with race calendars being kind of all wiped clean with, um, not very many events happening due to the COVID situation and everything. Um, it's just, I think people are looking for this kind of thing to, to grab onto and, and see what you guys have done and find that extra bit of motivation. Um, so yeah, I'm really interested to see you know, where, where each of you guys go. I know this has been a part of your life for, for a long time, but, um, I mean, do you see yourself, Josiah, like at some point doing some of these type of races with your boys? Um, I don't, you know, or maybe Larson even. <laughs> <laughs> oh, sure. I mean, something like that. Co-ed is, family is in the back team. of my head is pretty you funny. Used to say I, that. 
you know, I, I just found out my boys don't like to hike. So, uh, you know, <laughs> like, hey, why don't we put a backpack on? I'm like, uh, no, are you just going to be walking? <laughs> Tell them they but, can uh, run. <laughs> but, no, I mean, sure, that would be cool. But it's, it's always been, you know, since, you know, having kids, it's, you know, it's that lifestyle and kind of modeling that lifestyle has always been an important thing. And I think that, um, you know, I, being part of this team, I enjoy being being the youngest, you know, because in my sport, I'm kind of the, the oldest um, right. right now. Um, so that's it's kind of cool. But I, I don't think it's your typical, uh, you know, group of, of, you know, late 40s, early 50s, or even 60-year-old. You know, it's not – these are not your typical um, – these are people who have never uh, – adventure has always been a part of their life, and actually, you know, high performance has always been a part of their lives, whether they're – jumping in races or not it's a it's a lifestyle it's not a it's not training for 20 weeks or six weeks for one race it's a lifetime of training and that's what i think is cool about adventure racing is you know people say how long did you prepare for that and i think well your preparation is kind of everything you've done in your life you know what experience do you do you have that are preparing you for the challenges that you have even if it's just mentally and not even physically yeah. And I think that each one of you has a different strong point, you know, I mean, you're all great on the bike, you know, I can attest to that, but, um, but each of you has your different strong point. I think that figuring it out, like where, where can I excel, um, and, and add that extra little bit of stoke to the fire, um, within the team. And, you know, sometimes that just comes from, uh, as much as just that, those words of encouragement, you know, like whenever you see the, the morale drop, you know, because you've made a wrong turn or you've spent a lot of time through this one section that you thought was going to not take nearly as long. You know, I think that, you know, when it's just you out there, it's much easier to cash in your chips, you know, and to say, all right, today's not my day. It's not going to happen. So, um, save it for another day. But whenever you've got that whole pressure of the team, and you don't want to let anyone down. You know, I think that that's really whenever you see these amazing things happen. How do you get those words of encouragement like when you wake up in the hotel room and your teammate says you need to eat something? <laughs> you look awful. You know, that's motivation. Let's go to the buffet. You look terrible. <laughs> Is it still open? Did Is we it just still eat open? there an hour ago? I just wanted an omelet. Just one little omelet. Yeah. I have to say, uh, I'm always looking for an excuse to – stay active and get outdoors and um, enjoy our surroundings. So, um, you know, Eco Challenge for me right now is a, is a great excuse for that, provided we get in. Uh, but on the flip side of it is, I'm, I look at, for me, not having to have an excuse to not be able to do it. I look for that excuse to be able to do it, go out and do something like, even, um, Two years ago now, I got a text from Lance to go race in Costa Rica with him in uh, Ruta. And it was to replace George Hincap because George had to bail on the last minute. And, you know, if I was fit, unfit, out of shape, uh, I wouldn't have gotten that call. And that was a really cool experience, just going down there and got to race, watch Josiah up front, and I'm kind of dangling off the back. But, no, it was, it was really cool. So, for me, I, I think it's best – I stay on the path I'm on and just try to stay healthy and fit. And if the call comes to go do something like that or otherwise or an eco challenge or 
you know, because I'd always kind of left the door open for Eco Challenge if it came back, and it did. And now, th since we had the performance we did last season or last year, another reason to continue on. Well, and I think that there's, you know, like what Josiah was saying about just modeling that adventurous lifestyle, no matter where you are, you know, in your um, in your career, is something that is inspiring to people. You know, especially just in our valley. You know, you're always looking to looking toward um, people at, for inspiration, you know? Mm -hmm. And um, I think that on a national and international scale, that's even even grander. But you know, also to, to know that you know, your level of experience, specifically with adventure racing, you know, and then, you know, I know you guys haven't done quite as many as Mike, but you also both have uh, a lot of experience within adventure racing and just, and just endurance racing in, in general. So to be able to pass that knowledge on, you know, luckily it's coming back. And luckily I think that people, people are ready for this, you know, and they, they are looking for the opportunity to, uh, to challenge themselves in this way. And um, so I think that having that ability to be able to pass along that knowledge to other, other folks, you know, down the road, and, um, if, whether you're on a team or you're just uh, a resource, you know, like that could be, that could be amazing. So I think that's um, a great opportunity for you there as well, you know, to, to be involved. Well, you know, I, I do have a lot of years experience and you look back and you say, and it's adventure racing and other things, you look back and you say, most importantly to learn from your mistakes and not repeat them, I guess for for what I've done out there and and all those years of experience can be for naught if you don't you know try to practice what you you know you're preaching or believing in and um, you know having likes of Gretchen and Josiah and Michael um, and all the experience they have and all the different sports they've participated in and in the races that we've done together um, adventure racing and and such um, it's 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 great to to know you can fall back on, on each other when need be. And it's similar to what you're saying, people looking up to what we all do and why we're still out there doing what we do and, and how we do it. Um, it's nice to be looked upon in that sense, but um, you know, for, for me to, to look forward and, and say, I wanna go do another eco challenges, um, I kind of look back at it like when I first did the first eco challenge I did, which was really one of the first adventure races I did. We raced in Australia as Team Vale, and we made some big mistakes and just totally novice um, going into it. So didn't really know what to expect and, and to come out of it and say, okay, well, if I'm going to do this again, we want to do it right. Uh, and I, same thing I, I'm thinking about for, for the next go around is um, if we're going to do this again, let's do it right, and let's make sure we cover all of our, our basis and, and try not to make silly mistakes or, you know, um, not you fall back on our experience that we know of and we know what works, what does work and what doesn't work. So um, I want to go into this one if we get selected and, and really be prepared and, and look back like we did then for that first ego challenge to where we go wrong and let's not... Um, make those mistakes and let's prepare appropriately to to put ourselves in the best best position to perform at our best. So, Gretchen, do you have if if a 
female athlete is looking to get into this world of adventure racing, what's, what kind of, um, advice would you give someone that's, um, you know, maybe they've done a marathon and they've, you know, something along those lines and they've experienced something. They're not completely coming off the couch, but, um, but they're looking to get into the world of adventure racing. Well, I mean, not just speaking of females, but to just any athlete that wanted to get involved with it, you know, I would recommend that they try to do something like a local or regional race, just start there and, and see if they like it. Um, you know, there's like 12-hour races that you can do or six hours, and, and, you know, those are typically really fun, but when you get into the longer, the 24-hour races, you start to, to figure out if you this is something you can do and something you like to do. Um, you generally have to be able to deal with, a fair bit of discomfort um and i think a lot of women are used to that (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah uh it's it's um it's definitely like um i mean in fiji i remember thinking well it's probably not going to get you know i was like oh this this kind of sucks you know to myself man this is kind of sucky right now and then but it probably won't this will probably be as bad as it gets and then Sure enough, like, <laughs> you know, there's like, oh, this is, oh, this is more miserable than that was. And, but you, you've, at some point, you just sort of let go into the suffering, right? You just say, well, this is what it's going to be like, and when it's not, it's not. And so, like, you have to be able to, you know, it's, it's, a lot of it is being physically fit. A lot of it is being just able to deal and, 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 and suffer. And, and so, mentally strong being being mentally strong yeah Yeah. and so you know i think yeah just starting with small races see if you like it and and you definitely want to know your team um your team members like if you go into a big race like an expedition race you want to be able to you want to know your teammates and be able to trust them and trust that they're not gonna you know quit and and you know give up because that's that's definitely like not, not what you want so right um that's, I think, that's a, where I would start anyway. Yeah, I think it's really interesting, and, and maybe this is, I'm tuned into it a little bit more so because being the father of a, of a daughter who's um, adventurous and, and into um, different things, it, it's easy for my mind to kind of think about, like, oh, what's she going to get into and what, what's going to draw her attention as she gets older? And it's really exciting to see how, I think uh, women athletes are getting a lot more exposure than they have historically right now, and I think that um, hopefully that just continues. But also how competitive they are in some of these. Like the longer it seems like the longer the race and like the harder the race is, the better the women do. You know what I mean? Like the more level the playing field. I mean, if you look at some of like um, Courtney Doe Walter is a great example of you know, she's this ultra endurance runner and she's winning the races outright. You know, she's not just like winning, winning the women's categories. She's winning, um, all the whole thing, you know? So, um, you know, the, like her, one of her biggest, I don't know if it's her biggest victory, if you ask her, but, um, her longest race that she had raced was like 200 and what was it? The Moab 240, 240 or something, I think. you know, mm-hmm. and, and she won the whole thing by like a day or something. Wow. <laughs> it was a lot. You know, so um, I don't know. I just think that that's that's one of the elements that I love about adventure racing is that it has to be a co-ed team. You know, 
Um, so it, it brings in that element of, um, of everybody working together and, um, and knowing that there's going to be sometimes where you're the weakest link, but also there's going to be times when you're the strongest one, you know, whatever that strong point is. And I think that, you know, to be able to see where each person has that strong point and, and exploit it as opposed to, you know, um, focusing on some, an area where someone isn't as strong and then letting that crush the morale of the team. So, um, well, you guys, I don't want to keep you here any longer. So, um, I really appreciate you guys all coming in. I think that all the feedback that I've gotten from what I've seen on, uh, on Amazon myself, and then, you know, people knowing that we have a connection, people have been getting messages from, um, from all kinds of people just saying, Hey, you know, uh, tell those guys that they did a great job. And, um, and they're, I'm really excited to see what, uh, what's going to happen in, in Patagonia. Hopefully you guys get in and, um, I'd love to see you guys get uh, another go at this cause, um, cause I know, I know what's inside each and every one of you. So I know that you can be up there on the front and, uh, if things go your way. So, um, so yeah, if you guys have any, any last words, any, anything you wanted to add before we sign off, feel free. I just say thanks for thanks for having us. Uh, it, was, it was good to reconnect with these guys and just kind of rehash some of the things that you know went well, didn't go so well. And yeah, I guess you guys maybe haven't gotten together since really. Not all three of us at once. Yeah, so it's it's good, and I'm sure we'll we'll do a lot more talking about it um, as it pertains to the the next event if we end up doing it. But yeah, yeah it's been a lot of fun. Yeah, likewise. And on that note, uh, I was talking with Jay Henry the other night, a good friend of all of ours obviously amazing local athlete who's raced a lot of adventure races and different events with all of us throughout the years. He's, uh, he's wanting to throw a little gathering where we can talk about, and I guess his wife Cynthia as well, talk about what really was going on during the programming itself. And I said, well, it'd be great. Give me a reason to watch the remaining episodes sooner <laughs> than later. <laughs> so hopefully... Hopefully that happens, but thank you for having us. It's been really a pleasure. Yeah, well, the door's open anytime. So, and, and Gretchen, I'd love to have you on um, at some point down the road as well. I mean, I've already had these guys on, but um, would love to give the listeners a little bit more background about just who you are and everything you've done in your career over the over the years because uh, it's really impressive. I think equally as impressive as what these guys have achieved in their career. So, Well, thanks for having us. That'd be fun. Get to talk some smack about these guys. <laughs> yeah, you can just know what we did about you. <laughs> I'm just kidding. These guys are. Uh, I mean, I have to say, like, very awesome teammates. Um, you know, Josiah was like a natural, um, just very intuitive on on like. You know, he was helping me a lot there in the early part of the race, where, you know, if, if I had to be towed or you know have some help carrying some extra weight or whatever, and so that was really awesome. And then. You know, seeing Mike in action, the, ever since the first time I raced with Mike, I was like, Mike, Mike never, he's always thinking about winning. He's always like, like if something happens, he's just like, okay, you know, ch -ch -ch -ch, and he's, you know, we're standing there with our he hands on, you know, on our heads, and, you know, Mike's like fixing whatever is, meanwhile, he's already fixed the, the thing that's broken, you know. Yeah. And um, it, it was really eye-opening the first time I raced with Mike, just as like, his concern was always for like the overall team and, and there was never, you sometimes you see there's a teammate running ahead or whatever it is, a teammate, you know, not maybe getting along well or something. And it's, 
it's been really cool to race with Mike and see how he how he handles all that stuff. So. Yeah, yeah. There's definitely a, a level of. Um, Thank good, you, Gretchen. You're welcome. Good for the group. You yes. know, like yeah. you're only going as fast as your weakest link, and um, hopefully you, faster. Yeah. Right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if you're towing them along. But I think that that's, um, you know, to to have this amazing group of athletes here and and have this um, humbleness, you know, I think there's a lot that we can learn from these experiences. And hopefully that's what people take away from these type of experiences is some kind of lesson about life, you know, is that um, sport mimics life. And, and I think that it's one of the best ways for us to, to play that out and, and learn about ourselves, um, obviously physically, but also mentally. And, and just who, who we are on the inside is all comes out in sport you know so um yeah well we'll uh, we'll end it there okay thank you great Jake. thanks guys thanks all today's episode is brought to you by millie cbd the cbd world is moving fast and there are tons of products out there to choose from today most people use cbd to promote overall health and wellness by supporting the body's homeostasis otherwise known as its natural balance Cannabinoids are an essential part of the body and support the endocannabinoid system, which helps regulate a wide variety of physiological systems. Millie offers many different CBD products, but personally, I prefer the CBD soft gels with melatonin before bed, and I've experienced a noticeable change in sleep quality. I wake up feeling rested and ready to go. The CBD is non-psychoactive, so no, it won't get you high. Broad-spectrum CBD users report a wide range of benefits, including improved mood, reduced stress, improved temporary sleeplessness, and reduced discomfort. Millie is a Colorado-based company offering high-quality formulations while providing a transparency regarding ingredients, dosing, and testing. This allows customers to feel safe in an innovative and fast-moving industry. Check out all the amazing products at Millie.co. That's M-I-L-L-I-E dot C-O. Use code FORM at checkout for 10% off your entire order.